0: I was lucky enough on the weekend to be able to participate in a in an ancestral medicine ceremony with a shaman, which showed me my original face from before my parents were even born, to use a Zen koan. It, uh, to put that into more... Common language showed me the infinite. It showed me that you and I are indivisible from the fabric of the universe. And it brought into focus a lot of the stuff that a person can read through these ancient teachings and documents one of the most important and shortest documents that i've ever read to this effect is the shinshin ming which is spelled if you want to look it up h s i n h s i n m i n g and it's a document written by the i think the 6th zen patriarch i'm not even really sure what a zen patriarch is it sounds like maybe the foremost uh ambassador of zen we'll say ancestrally and there's a part in the Ming where it says that the greatest of all mistakes is to pursue mind uppercase mind uppercase m mind with the thinking mind, lowercase m mind. And I, prior to this plant medicine ceremony, didn't know to what extent I was doing that. And, sorry, it wasn't actually plant medicine, it was uh, ancestral medicine. Um Slightly different, not going to go quite into the details with it, um, but you can use your imagination and the part that matters here for someone who's practicing toward and interested in enlightenment and nirvana and full awakening is to see that there is potential real potential for a radical shift in perspective that can come about in the absence of adherence to the contents of thinking thoughts can still arise but there's a magical potential i don't know if magical is the right word but there's an invitation to see for yourself the infinite nature of what you think of as yourself and for that to vanish or yield to a substrate of experience from which your life sprouts. <laughs> this must sound absolutely ridiculous. But, uh, The mind, let's go there, the mind is more like a wild horse that needs taming. And when that, and we're back to the thinking mind, we're referring to the thinking mind here as a wild horse. When that wild horse of the thinking mind is tamed, for once we're not completely caught up in the struggle with that creature and so it might lay down in the field of experience in a way that it's never done before and when that happens the absence of there being a rider or anyone else and that the horse is no different than the landscape in a way. It belongs to that grassland or whatever it lives on. Suddenly, everything kind of snaps into oneness in a way that's absolutely beautiful. I've been working on this koan, um, Mu. I don't know if I've brought this up in other uh, podcasts yet, but I meet with a uh, a Zen teacher on Zoom once a month, and uh, ostensibly what we're supposed to be doing is talking about Zen koans. And uh, I've been on the first koan for months now. MU, M-U, just the sound MU. And you can look this up if you'd like, but uh, the practice is just to repeat MU almost like a mantra. And the nonsensical nature of that syllable, MU, is thought to be unique in its ability to point to the infinite in this way, or at least that's my take on it. I don't know if I have that quite right from the perspective of Zen, but that's at least how it's played out for me, is that it's perfect that that word is utterly meaningless to me because it's the perfect label for something like the infinite or like the original face from before our parents were born to indicate something that if we had a more rigid concept or label to apply to it, would be even more misleading with that more rigid label or more thinkable label than to have a label that's utterly meaningless. Gib, like, just gibberish would be an ideal label for it, and for that to change every single time you say it. <laughs> so, uh, if this is to be of any value to you, I'm trying to picture what I would say to me prior to this ancestral medicine ceremony during which I saw um, beyond a shadow of a doubt. That, uh, yeah, that I'm, you know, one with everything. And (laughs) if you're listening to this, you are also one with everything. And there is really no me in the way that I thought there was. Even hearing my own voice now, it's clearer to me that the voice that I'm hearing as I say these words isn't actually me the way I thought it was. This voice belongs to a process, a body, a set of conditions that has arisen and that will die. But none of that gets at the heart of what's actually going on here. (laughs) And uh, what's happening under the surface or behind the curtains is beautiful it's everything it's terrifying too it's uh, it's all of it it's very playful as well I found um, I, I'm smiling right now and just remembering it because uh, during the ceremony I spent a lot of time just laughing because um, it seemed to me that if Hinduism is right and we are all just the universe playing hide-and-seek with itself through the illusion of life and death, good and bad, pain and pleasure, all of these things, and to make this game compelling and worth playing, we need to not know it's a game. Otherwise what's the point <laughs> uh, they wouldn't be as fun and if you're familiar with game design or even just video games in general sometimes video games have easter eggs in them which are these little hidden uh, abnormalities to the game put there by the programmers just for the pure joy of there being the unexpected within the game and so I believe now that psychedelics and even just the psychedelic state of mind is like an easter egg in the game of life who knows maybe put there by none other than our more fundamental self if we are you know if the universe (laughs) is sentient in some way and has some uh, say in what's happening it's like hey, why not throw in a little cheat code in there that for a period of minutes or hours reveals the actual intent. Not, maybe not intent, but... It shows reality to be, as what it is. It shows... You can see behind the curtain uh, a little bit. And so I don't think I actually brought that home on why this is useful. But if I'm to think of this as having some value for me, the version of me prior to having done this ancestral medicine ceremony, uh, it would be to really reinforce that part of the Xin Ming where um, he says... To seek mind with the thinking mind as the greatest of all mistakes. That in practice is as easy as just going into your body. And as someone who always wants to find like a logical thought pattern framework for everything that I'm doing and to validate and to test things in my mind as making sense or being worthwhile like I want to weigh it out in my mind before I really commit to it and do it with any earnestness that's the hardest thing to do is to just abandon the mind in that way and to spend time increasingly just going into my body and what does that even mean right? like I've had uh, I've been I've tried these meditations where you follow your breath, your in-breath into your chest, and then you try to leave your attention in your chest or try to go deeper on the next in-breath down into your belly and you try to center awareness in the belly. And I'm like, you know, at some point the thought comes, like, what the hell am I doing? (laughs) And uh, that can derail the whole process because then I'm just thinking again. And that little subtle shift back to thought is what precludes the the ability to notice what can be directly seen and experienced when that wild horse of the thinking mind just lays down and no longer resists or fights or pulls, or struggles, or does any of the things that it wants to do. Sometimes that horse is just so intriguing to ride. I feel as though, and the shaman actually said this, is that when we're close to seeing the infinite, the thinking mind can sense that and just pull out all the tricks and be like, hey, let's... (laughs) Here is something really worth your attention right now. It'll come up with something. And if you get on that wild horse, like it, just imagine that that horse is now like really behaving strangely and it's trying to indicate that you should jump on it and ride it over. It's thinking about something like some house that's on fire that it's going to run you over to so that you can deal with it. And the thinking mind is so capable of transporting the attention in that way like once it's on the horse it's hard to get off but if we can just let that horse be and not ride it anywhere then yeah the infinite nature of reality can veil of thought can slip off of what's happening and it can be seen raw for what it is from the embodied state. I don't know if this is making any sense, but hopefully I'm kind of triangulating enough that uh, if you're listening, you can get a sense of what I mean here. There is immense value to meditating in a way that we're bringing our attention increasingly out of the body into maybe just sound. Right now I'm near a wetland, so there's a lot of just bird song. So just really just letting that bird song be everything and the sensations that might be arising. Like right now, I'm there's a bit of rain, it's landing on my skin bringing attention to these other things and not pushing back against that wild horse of thought but as it nudges me I know that that is thought nudging me and if it pulls me or wants me to ride it somewhere I, I notice that that's what the urge is and I don't indulge the urge to get on the horse, or if I find myself on the horse, I just hop off back into the feeling of breathing, and just spending time there because that's the only place from which nirvana, enlightenment awakening can be seen it can't be seen, as far as I can tell and I I am no (laughs) I'm no expert in this but, hey I'm pretty sure that what that Zen master, the sixth patriarch, was telling us was the greatest mistake is to pursue awakening, enlightenment, nirvana, uppercase mind with the thinking mind.